0: Welcome to Martial Wisdom, here you can listen to conversations on all kinds of topics related to martial arts. In today's episode, we're going to discuss striking and how it relates to Aikido. Joining me in this discussion is Oliver Martinez. Two major things that I want to mention before we get started today. First I want to express my heartfelt thanks to the listeners who have donated through the PayPal tip jar. Your contributions are greatly appreciated. It's the love of the martial arts which keeps us doing what we do. And at the same time, it's true for producing the content that I do on this channel. Thank you very much for your support. Second, it's been several years now since I launched the Spirit Aikido online program. Releasing new videos every few days over that time has resulted in a very large library of material. As of the recording of this podcast, there are nearly 350 videos in the program. This is a great way for you to get training and practice ideas, which I've gathered from my own Aikido training, gleaned from other instructors and taken from other arts. In the most recent videos, I cover some on some different body mechanics, and I also cover a few videos on integrating pugilism and striking and body atemi into Aikido. If you've been curious to see breakdowns of how I approach my Aikido on the mat, the videos in the Spirit Aikido online program are the best way to go. You get a great deal of content and help support the show at the same time. I encourage you to check it out. There's a link in the description. I hope you enjoy this episode. Now on with the discussion. Welcome back to Modern Aikido's podcast and Martial Wisdom. Uh, first, I want to start out by apologizing. It's been a while since I've done a done a podcast. I'm involved in a couple of startups right now, so I'm just I'm busy as all get out. Got a ton of balls in the air trying to juggle. Uh, so this is one of those that, especially as COVID has been tapering off and people are getting back to their work lives, it's it's their schedules are tough to match up, mine's tough to match up. So. I apologize for the for the gap we've had, but we're gonna come back at it pretty strong here. Uh and I have my friend Oliver Martinez back. Uh he teaches Aikido and karate down in Dallas, Texas. And um happy to have you back, Oliver. Oh,
1: it's always good to, to be back. Always good talking to
0: you. Yeah, I've been looking forward to this one. It's something that I, you know, even when I started Aikido, there was some talk about uh because our our both of our lineage comes through Bill Sosa Sensei, and he was a golden gloves boxer uh and a and a tremendous Aikidoka. And he blended in, in th- those two influences together. And today's topic is going to be blending and integrating striking into Aikido and not just have it be kind of a tack-on thing. Um, and I remember I, I never had the benefit of meeting Bill Sosa Sensei while he was alive. I of course I didn't meet him after he was dead either. <laughs> uh, but I do remember his teaching that came down through you and through Bonafe, and the, you know the other, other instructors that talked about. You know, boxing and the type of striking and punching that boxing has is something that Aikido does need to be able to deal with. Uh, that message was very strong with us throughout all of the the training that came down through. So, um, you know, and I know there are other Aikido instructors that feel the same way or similar ways about other modern striking uh, striking arts. So, I wanted to talk today about how to integrate these together, and I wanted to bring you on Oliver specifically because you blend. striking art karate and we were going to go get into more depth on that too that it was not always purely a striking art but you you blend that with your aikido not only from the karate side but also from what uh, sosa sensei taught with combining it with western boxing um we don't really have an 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 outline for today's show because we wanted to keep this as a as a free-flowing conversation so we but we want to cover a lot of material and we're going to cover not only uh the the you know, boxing and karate, kind of the, the, the punching with the upper body, but also kicking and some of the, the striking that, is, that comes from the kicking arts that could be integrated with Aikido. So uh, let's pick the, the the starting point. Let's talk about um, kind of karate and its lineage of, of having integrated striking with throws, locks. It was kind of that comprehensive art.
1: Um, yeah, I, I, I mean, we can actually have a kind of a parallel conversation here uh, between karate and Aikido. And, and actually one thing, Um, which I do think is going to be a good starting point in in these two arenas is uh, should Aikido have striking in it? Like, why are we even bothering? And two, what is its historical relationship to striking? Yeah, that
0: is a good place to start. Let's do do it there.
1: Yeah. Because, you know, a lot of times the, uh, the misconception is, um, well, Aikido doesn't have any striking uh, or maybe it did at one point, but it was taken out. Uh, I I have, this is my go-to. Uh, my students will say, I, I refer to this book basically every single class. This is a uh, Budo. Uh, it's the founder's book. And in this, there are 50, I, I say techniques, but basically like 50 lessons. Uh, lesson one is basically how to stand. It's your posture, your hominy. Lesson two is a Rimi. Lesson three is uh 10 con. They use like Taino Hinko to, to demo it. Uh, lesson four is the very first technique they teach. And the very first step of the very first technique is Nage strikes as Uke. And when the Uke responds to that, the Nage uses that to create a, a Ikkyo opportunity. So to me, like that's huge. The very first thing that the founder said to do was strike your opponent in the face, you know, and somehow we went from that to, well, there is no striking in Aikido at all. Um, and so I think that's why there's so much contention in um where is that tension between the striking arts and like how aikido fits into that. Karate has a really uh definitive history of where its other techniques went. So if you look at Okinawan karate, they had locking, trapping, throwing, strangling, um variety of takedowns. Uh the striking was close quarter you know elbows forearm blasts palms fists the whole deal but if you look at modern karate almost all the grappling or trapping component is sort of removed but it's really clear how that happened I mean if you look at um when they started competing they said uh well judo does all the throws so that's no good and kendo does all the weapons so that's not helpful but we could just capitalize on the striking the punching and the kicking judo doesn't have that kendo doesn't have that sumo doesn't really have the kicking and so they just hyper specialize and i know you've talked about that on your podcast Mm -hmm. a a ton the the idea of hyper specializing Mm -hmm. so to me it's very clear where those techniques went it just uh, they didn't set karate apart enough in the competition sphere but in Aikido, to me, it's a little muddier. Like, why did, it, why was everything uh, striking related removed? Um, and I think rather than a competition arena, I think it got taken out in a philosophical arena. You know, I think when it got uh, more widespread in the West, uh, Europe, and uh, America, I, I think they just looked at it and went, Uh, We don't like the striking stuff. It's counter to the philosophical narrative that we're trying to present. And then like that overnight, all of a sudden there's just no more striking in Aikido, which is unfortunate.
0: It is, you know, and the number of times I've seen both in person and and on video of, well, if you want to add an atemi to a technique, you know, and you see somebody extend their fist into somebody's face without any body mechanics behind it, there's Mm -hmm. really nothing more than somebody standing there and extending their arm or even their hand is open they bring up uh, they wave their hand in front of uke's face mm-hmm. like well this would be an atemi mm-hmm. and then of course you train your uke to respond like he got hit yes but it's nothing more than just a quick flick gesture like well there's a big difference between you know this and what a real punch a right. solid mm-hmm. punch is going to be to the to somebody's face even who's a, not a trained boxer necessarily but who just wants to Feed you your own teeth there that's right way different than just a little wave you know and and i guess that's where i see the the integration uh stumble where there's no earnest uh pursuit of that and if you put the shoe on the other foot and we see this now with bjj and, and mma guys that are, that are they are getting fascinated with wrist locks and mm-hmm. with the stuff that aikido does they'll never mention the Aikido word, yeah, where they got it, but they'll like this is kind of cool. This actually works. Right. Of course, they lack a lot of the fundamentals to do it properly, but it still will function very basically because they've got some feel of how the skeleton works, and you can see right. you're actually doing something to it or not. But if you do it half-heartedly, any 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 technique will will fail miserably if you don't have the good fundamental blocks, building
1: blocks underneath it that will make it functional. Yeah, I think, I think you really hit something there. It's, we're not talking about an Aikido person stepping into a boxing ring and beating a boxer at boxing. But I, I like how you're saying fundamental. And what you're talking about is like a baseline. Right. There needs to be a baseline of skill. And I think there's, it's twofold. One, if you're going to be a complete martial artist, I do feel like you need to be able to hit with some authority uh, I, I mean I do think that's very important mm-hmm. but the flip side of it is if you're going to learn how to counter a strike then your UKs have got to have good fundamentals mm-hmm. uh, I mean you're only as good this is true of all Aikido probably all martial arts but definitely by Aikido you're only as good as your UKs if Absolutely. your UKs cannot feed you the proper energy if they can't feed you the proper structure uh, how are you going to get any better you know exactly. Um, right. You'll so, rise
0: to the ceiling of their incompetence. Is yeah. Really what it
1: will be. Yeah. You're like, man, I'm really good at countering bad punches. You right. know, I'm like, okay, cool, that's yeah, that's helpful. As long as you can
0: imagine can... it, you know, like having, okay, so you're all of your ukes are six year olds. How good of a martial artist are you against, mm-hmm. you know, a six year old flailing away? Well, great, you're going to look like Bruce Lee, right? Well, now you get an adult, two hundred fifty pound guy. You, if you've never seen one or never faced with one, now what? Are you, now what are you going to do? And so, yeah, I think it's getting that Uke look to look like the boxer or look like a fighter or look like right you know, as close as you can get to what you really want
1: to be able to be competent against. And, and I, I do see where that sentiment could be intimidating because mm-hmm. it's kind of a slippery slope. You're going like, well, you need to be um, competent at striking. Okay, well, that's good, but you won't ever be as good as well, this guy. Okay, cool. But then that you'll be able to take that guy on, but you'll never be able to take on that guy. And, and so I, I think the idea of a baseline is a really good goal. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Aikido, one, I, and this is a whole other podcast, but for all of the pros and cons of competition or not having competition, uh, one of the things that is I think it might come easier to us is going like you acknowledge that there will always be someone better at something that's not an excuse not to have a baseline of knowledge no and hopefully that'll take the pressure off of going like you don't have to be a championship boxer or uh mma belt holder to 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 kind of enrich your training a little bit Mm -hmm. yep you know and and uh
0: one of the and this is a great i'm glad you brought this up because this is one of the biggest arguments somebody has against well if i'm not going to be able to box a boxer why would i want to why would I want to bother learning that level of skill? I'm never going to best them at their own game. But the fighting tends to be like the rock, paper, scissors thing. When you face another rock, you want to be paper because you're going to be the, the thing that counters that. So one of the big parts, like we've already mentioned, is firstly, you got to spot what you're up against. Mm-hmm. If you spot somebody that looks and moves like a boxer, now you have to shift and go, okay, what's what's going to counter be effective against countering a Mm box rather than trying to outbox them. Right. Um, And the same thing goes with grappling and, and uh, you know, we've got another show coming up. That's going to talk about integrating the grappling side. Oh, cool. In my opinion, Aikido is a grappling art. We are there to make contact because fighting and, and human physical conflict comes down to you're either grappling or you're striking or you're doing both together. Mm -hmm. To me, Aikido really is the doing both together part
1: right it's not a full grappling but it's not a full striking either so somehow it wound up well no it's not somehow it's very obvious it wound up in the grappling category Mm -hmm. well that's what happens when you remove all the striking right but again if you look at the way the art was originally presented i I don't like you were mentioning earlier karate was not a striking art it was an art that had striking Mm -hmm. right amongst this other um Kind of robust, it was a more comprehensive system than what what it's perceived right. as today. Well, a lot of arts are comprehensive until they hyper specialize for right. the sake of uh, competition. You know, um, which means that no an aikido an aikido curriculum will never be as good at hand fight. I don't mean hand fighting like grappling, but I mean like boxing. As a boxing curriculum will, right? So you you have to kind of just get that out of your head that that is that's not the goal necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say I think you you brought up a really good question why even why even bother, and even if you remove the fighting element out of it, one of the things at our academy that we found really useful is if you try to apply your aikido to something that is not traditionally found in the Aikido curriculum. So instead of a Shomenuchi, it, you're working against a jab. Mm-hmm. Or instead of a Yokoman, you're working against a hook. Or instead of one Munetsuki, you're working against a jab, then a cross. What it does is it just expands and, and deepens what you already know. Because now you have to figure out, well, if the timing's different, does that still apply? Or you know, how do I adapt my timing to those things? How do I adapt my, distance, my, my eye mm-hmm. to those things? So even if you remove uh, fighting from the equation in terms of saying, you know, don't box a boxer, don't wrestle a wrestler, just from a pure Aikido standpoint, it will make your Aikido better because Absolutely. you're going to be able to, to see all these different variables.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, one of the things that I noticed, and and this is where I was really intrigued to talk with you because the striking that you and I do, is coming from a lot of different from some different realms um mm-hmm. some of the stuff I've been working on in the last 10 years or so is comes from like 19th century pugilism, which would now be called dirty boxing mm-hmm. where you're using body contact you're you're shoving and and use there there was a grappling component it's not wasn't a full-on wrestling thing, but you could get somebody in a headlock and start punching them in the head mm-hmm. you could. Grab arms and start doing basic catch wrestling entries to set somebody up, like wrap their arm and
1: start pounding on them. So, Tristan, is this a rule set at that time period? Or, like, so um, So I'm pretty un, unfamiliar with pugilism Okay, in that regard. So, it, yeah, I
0: guess you'd say it was before the rule set came about. This was okay, so Marquis of, of Queensbury rules came, and even that was pretty thin on rules, but it had more of it. That's where you have rounds, um, sure. you know, time rounds. Uh, if somebody goes to a knee, they're they're you separate because that they were having the, at that time, and the pugilism was pretty much an open season. Okay, spiders fighters are going to go at it bare knuckles, and and I want to dispel one thing too that people say: well, bare knuckle boxing is so much more dangerous. Actually, boxing gloves made boxing more dangerous, and they evolved from you know, like if you and I square off, you know, maybe we're in a mining uh, tavern. In a mining town, you know, and we're gonna we're gonna get into a fist fight just because we want to bet on it. It's a lot of times the were gambling events as opposed to you know two angry guys actually going at it. Okay. The rule might be we're gonna go to first blood and we put money down the table, take as long as we want, and first one to draw blood wins, done deal, and then and take who,
1: the pot home, right? Either okay. of us might
0: may go on to do another one. We might make okay. some. Money. So it, now you're doing this maybe for two or three, four hours at a time. Oh my God. Yeah. So if we're squared off with, with bare knuckles and I hit you in the skull and I break my hand, I'm done. You like I clock out. Yep. And so there were a lot more body shots than there were head shots. If they did hit to the head, they would usually hit very light because you didn't want to break your hand. Cause you got to go mine the next day. Like mm-hmm. that's your, that's your living. You don't work. You don't get paid. Right. So when, box, when the gloves started to come into the picture, hand wraps started coming, which strengthened the hand, strengthened the wrist. Now you could hit to the head without hurting your hand. Boxing gloves aren't made for the boxer's head to get hit. Yeah, it's for the fighter, right? Yeah. Hitting them. So now, uh, the, now you enter the sport equation where people want to see the dramatic. They want to see somebody get hit in the head and knocked out cold because that's what they're paying money to see. They don't want to see somebody get hit in the liver and just fold up on the floor and crumple. That's not exciting. Um, and likewise, first blood could happen within 10 seconds or 15 right. seconds. They w- they want to see an extended fight. So this is where the rules start to be made more for entertainment than for, you know, it's not just a safety component. It's how do we make this more entertaining? Because that's what really makes the money. Mm-hmm. But when you shift the fundamental shift from to head targets from body targets mm-hmm. and to remove the grappling and things like that, um, you know we go into depth about how all those rule changes evolved even from like that period of time to Rocky Marciano's time which it was still pretty rough right.
1: Marciano's
0: boxing would be considered dirty boxing by all measures today <laughs> on to more what we have now which is in my opinion it's gotten to be a tremendous you know the the what they call it, the sweet science of boxing yeah. But it's also gotten to an absurd level. If it like you know Floyd Mayweather, when he starts getting flooded, he just turns around and turns his back on his opponent. In old boxing days, you were done. You'd get hit in the back of the head and it would be lights out for you. So right. but within there, that was at a time where they the, the line between the grappling and the and the fist fighting was very thin. So if you and I are fighting, I can bump you with my shoulder. I could rake, rake my head across your, your face and turn your head and then set you up for a shot. And to me, this crosses over into what Ellis Amder talks about with the definition of a temi being the striking body. So now yeah. we're using any and every part of our body to be able to strike. And you know the, the definition of a temi that I've learned, which I think almost every Aikidoka has heard, is a temi is a strike meant to unbalance. Well, perfectly valid. We're not there just to cause damage. We're there to, to you know knock somebody off their posture, but I can do that with a shoulder, a head, my body, my hip, the knee, elbow, you know, anything can be used. If I just kind of fall into you and you rock back, your balance is taken for just a moment. That's what we right. can exploit by that. So as we expand that, and this is where I found that the parallel with that older pugilism is it's not just two guys putting their knuckles onto each other. It's all kinds of contact that's taking posture and taking momentum. And I found even playing with that, it's stuck by the Aikido principle of we want to take our Uke's posture immediately and we right. never want to let him get it back like that. You could use that same phrase with old pugilism. If you mm-hmm. knock somebody off their posture, but however you do it and you keep them off balance, you're going to win. That That's
1: it's just a. I, I a, bet you fun that fun. would look closer to what what aikido you know if you look at modern boxing and you look at aikido go, well those things have nothing to do with each other mm-hmm. but i bet you go back a couple hundred years we're probably looking pretty pretty close look very much if, if not aikido at least karate i bet it right. looks exactly like Okinawan karate yeah That's and it absolutely. would look exactly like
0: karate 100, yeah. 150 years ago before right. the, the branch separation came out Absolutely. And, so, and that's, yeah, the more I play with it, the more I find when I enter, even when I am in kind of doing a more pugilism type exercise, if I bump into somebody who's like, oh, look, there's an arm, like an Ikyo, There's a, like mm-hmm. a rokyo lock. There's a, a kataguruma or your shoulder locks. All of these things come from those exact same entries. So what looked to me originally, like they were very far apart, really were very close together. Sure. And all of the body positions for solid lower body, like you would use for a powerful ikkyo or a, you know, some kind of an ud- are the same as for that pugilism side, because you need power. You need power from your base, you need stability. That's the same. Same thing with like a catch wrestling. You, you're a little bit lower, you know, you got your head a little farther forward than you would for against somebody who's who's boxing, but the body positions and that solidity. And the, the fluid movement are all the same. They're very, very similar.
1: So, so Sosa Sensei had an interesting martial evolution. He he started as a boxer, like we talked about, modern boxing. And then he moved to Ryu Karate, which I don't know very much about that system. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, then he went from Ryu to Judo. And he always joked that he I only did nine months of Judo. I think a little Judo goes a long way. I have a feeling that yes. nine months of Judo was probably more extensive than uh you know he he would joke or or let on Mm -hmm. um and then he eventually found aikido Mm -hmm. and so when when we when he would teach um it looked like classical okay first of all i didn't know what classical aikido was i only knew what his aikido was you know because in the 90s the best you could do is send away for like a a dvd or a vhs or something like that of someone else doing aikido you know you're not hopping on youtube Mm-hmm. And seeing the world of Aikido, so as far as I knew, what we were doing was what Aikido was everywhere. I, I, I had no idea. Uh, but one time, um, I was watching uh, Oscar de la Hoya and he was fighting Fernando Vargas. And uh, late in the fight, he knocks Vargas, de la Hoya knocks Vargas down, and there was this really interesting way he moved, he, he kind of pivoted and entered and he caught Vargas as Vargas was starting to move. And then this like flash went off and I was like, Oh my gosh, that's, that's exactly the way sensei does his kokunage. Mm-hmm. And I realized like the timing that he had and the distancing that he used was way more boxing influenced than I had initially realized. Again, I didn't know anything. You don't, you don't know anything at that point. Right. Mm-hmm. Um and so that's that was really a, an eye-opening experience for me to understand that the the boxing and the Aikido could integrate and could overlay really well. And then you start to understand, um, is that okay for him a, a good bit, and you realize, oh, every time he threw me, he could have knocked me out because hmm. it was identical, right? the 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 movement, the angle, uh, the timing he chose to throw. Mm -hmm. because I was his his okay. but you go like, Oh my gosh, all you do is you turn this to this and it's a knockout shot. And so that opens this whole other can of worms where you go like, now I kind of understand some of the ethical and the the philosophical underpinnings of Aikido you're choosing, right? It's a choice. It's not that I don't know how to strike it's I could strike and I have chosen not to. Right. So that was, that was a really formative thing to see how sensei's, Striking background informed his his aikido, so yeah, and that's really cool. You know, and I, I'm sure we both. I know I've met
0: martial art practitioners from from aikido and other realms that they do. They they choose how to integrate things from other arts into what their their art is. And I think we've all gone through the same thing where we start out, our vision's very limited by what we see in our own dojo, and we think, well, right, this, it is everywhere. I mean if anything justifies the arguments on the internet,
1: that's probably, probably it that's right, probably, yeah, yeah. You know, Aikido and I will say, down, you know, yeah, uh, it's no. not as easy as just training an art and then doing it in a in a skirt and then going like, see, Aikido has now integrated striking, it, like right. I, I really can't stress enough how much thought and uh, training sensei must have gone through to be able to blend those things in a way that was Aikido. Because like you said, you know, the the first thing that I will always rally against is, well, that's not Aikido. Yeah, I hate that. I'm going to tell you though, full transparency, sometimes I'll see people do that really superficial uh, melding and I'm like, well, that's not Aikido. (laughs) You know, I'm the first one (laughs) to do it. I just don't put it on the internet, but I feel it, you know, and I say it to myself. Mm-hmm. But uh it it's it's difficult and it's a discipline to be able to see how those things can melt. So the way this the way that Sensei did it um was we had normal classes and then Tuesday night was an advanced class. Hmm. And on advanced class night, um, what we would do on occasion is we would do our regular Aikido stuff, but we would learn a jab, H- how to do it from a jab. Sure. And so since they might give you just a really quick, I don't even want to say he taught a jab. He would basically that tell you. That question. Wrong. Did he actually teach you guys to be Ukes and how to do a <laughs> decent jab? That's a great question. No, not really. Mm-hmm. Um, I would love to, if I could ask him anything, I'd want to know, like why, why wasn't that part of the trend? I think, I mean, I can suspect, I think he was trying to keep the Aikido as pure as he could. Sure. But the UKs that got called up to demo this stuff were the ones that could do it. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, he had this UK who to this day is still, I think, one of the greatest UKs I've ever seen in my whole life. Um, and this guy would train with Sensei's sons. Uh, John and Rick Sosa were both boxers. They did Muay Thai. Uh, they did Filipino martial arts. They did JKD. And so he would train with them. And I would train with him. So mm-hmm. I got a lot of that stuff filtered through. So I would I would be okay. I would get called up to do some ukeme. And mm-hmm. I had a decent jab and I had a decent cross and a decent hook. Um, my kicks were pretty good for not having really done any kicking because of, of that training. Mm-hmm. But it's not like we were out there with kick shields learning how to kick. Sure. Uh, with my students, we are. Because I, I see the gap now. <laughs> you know, right. I understand. Like, oh, we should probably figure that out. We don't spend a ton of time on it,
0: mm-hmm. but if
1: we're going to teach a kick defense, I'm like, all right, this is how... I know for a fact you and I have the same feeling when you type in, you know, Aikido versus a jab or, you know, you'll see it pop up on your YouTube list. And the guy goes, all right, throw a jab. And the guy's like, and he just kind of like holds it there. And you're like, well, that's not a jab. First off, <laughs> um, I don't really know what that is, but it, they don't understand how bad they're hurting their argument, you know, by right. not having an Uke that can produce the feed, you know? Mm-hmm. So we do do more of that than probably an, an average Aikido dojo, uh, but that's largely just so their Ukes are equipped to to feed a a proper, proper attack.
0: You know, something I wanted to comment on there too, and I think you you were tremendously fortunate that you had in your dojo environment, you had a series of seniors that could show you, what it looked like. Even without having to train you, here's what a jab looks like. When you mm-hmm. see it and you go, oh, Makes well, a difference, that's, yeah. that's how I should move. And then uh-huh. the younger students, most of them will start picking up on, I got to do what, what I just saw him do. Right. It? So now you're making a, at least a carbon copy of a of a pretty good original. And mm-hmm. what I'm seeing is that now you have even senior instructors and dojo and and whatnot that they don't show a good mm-hmm. jab. It's, it's lame. It, it's just yeah. pathetic. And yeah. that's what the Xerox copy is being made of is a poor. Yeah. That's a good
1: point. Yeah. It's just going to get diluted, now, right? Now you don't
0: even have within your dojo environment enough of the, of a, of a good fundamental to show for people to copy. And the only way really to do it is say, all right, we're not just going to show by example because our examples are poor. Let's get down to this. And we're actually going to train how to do good jabs, train how to do, get good body mechanics, like a, a good puncher will. So that that brings up a really good... How do you you start to reinvigorate your own training to say, we're not just going to be making crappy copies of what we're doing
1: poorly. We're going to refocus on throwing some good attacks. That brings up a really good point. So my striking background comes uh, through that sort of informal training in the Aikido Dojo. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'm also trained in in JKD under Guru Dan and Santo Mm -hmm. And um, I've seen... My Muay Thai experience comes through that filter. So I've, so I've done some Pentateuch and I've done some Muay Thai. I've done the karate, American karate, coming through that, that system. Uh, but Guru Dan has this, he said this thing, and every year becomes more profound to me. He said a martial art, he didn't tell me, he was telling the, the seminar. Right. Um, he said a martial art is three things. One is the content. W- what are you teaching? Like What is the material? If you asked me, I would say that's what a martial art is, is the content. No, no." two, the training methods. It's like, okay, well, that's important. That makes sense, right? Because uh, if you took, um, it's like you said, if the training method is copying somebody who's awful at punching, but this guy's training method is a comprehensive punching curriculum, even if we're both teaching punching, the content, that's not the same thing. So we got your content. You got your training methods. And the third one didn't even register the first time I heard him say it. But the second time I heard him say it, it, it was life altering. He said, your equipment, the equipment that you have. And so the first time he just kind of made the list. The second time, six months later, I heard him say it. He was like, imagine what BJJ would look like without a mat. Hmm. And I'm like, oh my gosh. It would change everything, right? It would influence the training methods. And if yeah. it influenced the training methods, it would intray, it would influence the content. And like I it's, mentioned earlier, the boxing gloves. Like the boxing gloves, like you the said earlier. Right? Yep. It, it would be a, a huge difference, right? Mm-hmm. And so the more I kind of went down that mental rabbit hole, you know, you go like, oh, yeah, well, what, what does Aikido look like without a mat? Or um, how can you integrate striking, even if you have the content, even if you have good training methods, but you don't have the equipment? Mm-hmm. That's going to influence the quality of of what you're doing. So when you talk about, um, you know, seeing senior students or saying like, let's get after it. Let's like work on it. Let's not just imitate. You know, it's kind of a commitment because you're committing to some material. You're committing to some training methods and you're probably going to have to get some gear. You know, uh, you're going to have to get some focus mitts. You're going to have to get some kicking shields. You're going to have to, sp- you don't have to, but you're probably going to want to start wearing gloves. You know, Um, and then if you're going to pressure test it at all, now you got to start wearing headgear, you know, are you doing kicking? Uh, No, here's like to to your point at our karate academy, which we teach at the same place, but you know, we have karate classes. We have Aikido classes. We have transitioned almost completely to Muay Thai shin pads. Yeah, I use those too. Do you? Yeah. Okay. So, you know, the, the, the pad covers the shin and it'll cover the foot. Mm-hmm. We're, we're we moved away from a taekwondo or a karate style like boot foam boot. Do you know? Have you seen those? They're kind yeah, of like yep. wrap all the way around, right? So it was two separate things. You'd put on a shin pad and then you'd put on this boot. Well, we just thought for because we were doing a little bit more muay thai structure, and it's one piece of equipment instead of two pieces of equipment, and we didn't have to wait an hour for the kids to figure out how to put on these four pieces of thing. You know, we're like, right. oh, we'll just go to the pad, right? Yep. And then we encountered a friend of our program who's a very high level Taekwondo karate instructor. Really. I mean, like very high level. And he's like, you know, I don't like those because uh, it doesn't protect against the heel rake. And so for those that don't know, a heel rake is basically, if this is my foot, you're using the back of the foot to, to kick. Right. So, you know, a round kick would come forward. A heel rake would come back. Okay. And so he goes, you know, I don't like them because it doesn't protect the heel rake. And I realized we haven't even taught a heel rake, basically, mm-hmm. when we moved to the other gear. It completely changed the curriculum mm-hmm. because you know we're if we're not gonna if it doesn't cover it, we're not gonna use it in sparring. And we're not using it in sparring. Why don't we use the stuff that we are gonna use in sparring? And then like overnight, this whole technique thing starts to go away. So it's not uh, you you gotta be thoughtful about it. You gotta mm-hmm. you gotta figure out like what is it that you're trying to do. Because it, it's an integrated system. The the content, the methods, and the gear are one big system. And so you really, you know, I don't mean that to be um I don't want to intimidate anyone from the type of training mm-hmm. and, and steer them away. But also you can't just go, well, from now on we're gonna practice jabbing. Okay, mm-hmm. well, that's not gonna cut it. You know, there's there's some stuff, there's some some buy-in here to for it to be effective. Right.
0: You know, and I also wanna cover, and I think I did this on one of my early episodes about the unsolvable training paradox, the dilemma. And that is, if you want to learn about how physical combat works, you cannot do a 100% simulation. That's yeah. 100% reality. You, you, for the sake of safety, you have to, you have to do one of two or three things. Either you have to go slow, you have to go light, or you have to pad up and armor yourself so that you don't get hurt and as we right. know throwing throwing can be very dangerous regardless of the equipment that you're wearing
1: right so,
0: it, or any some combination of those with equipment now like with with kicks i like to use those shin pads because a shin slamming into you it's very hard to control that to not do it a little too right. hard. and mm-hmm. so Likewise, with kicking somebody in the shin, which uh, I love that old time Savat, by the way, and that's yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, you mm-hmm. put your, you shoe right your
0: bare yeah. foot on somebody's bare shin and you do that maybe once or twice and they, they don't want to do that anymore. So yeah. it allows you to train for half hour, you know, into, all right, how do we set up that, that mm-hmm. uh, coupe de piba, I think what they call it, I'm not French, so don't hit me down for <laughs> my pronunciation, but, help you. Yeah, but it's the shin <laughs> kick. And it's one of the most effective, I think, for civilians to use in a self-defense situation. Mm-hmm. It's very fast, very reliable. If it doesn't work, it doesn't screw you over. Um, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's just fantastic. And people don't think about protecting their shins. So yeah. they're distracted by what's going on mm-hmm. up high and you smack them in the shin real hard, you usually get an effect, especially if you're wearing shoes that are that have got even a little bit of a hard sole. So but all that stuff, you need to have some, some pads. And even when we're doing it, you know, with a live people, I say, don't go 100% power. For 100% yeah. power, we've got a heavy bag over here. You can right, you can really crank into it. But as you do it, kind of record in your mind the form, how your hip is turning to drive all that power. And then say, now when you're with somebody live, they're padded, but do it slower with good form. Keep the form of all that power and intensity just don't thoroughly penetrate the target like you would on the heavy pad. And Yeah, that- it's a whole system, right? Yeah, it's this it's, is for this, this is for that system. Yeah. yeah, and it doesn't take that much. And the other thing I'll tell everybody is, when you're on it, some adrenaline, you'll have all more speed and power than you are planning on. So don't think that by not applying full power just to a live person that you're training with, you're somehow training yourself to be limited because right. you're going to have that additional adrenaline adrenaline aspect to you so you know there's there's more to it than just i get in a red suit and i'm going to go 100 and start pounding away um, right
1: well and, and then you know as you talk about not isolating those things but then bringing them back into the fold of aikido mm-hmm. and looking at all those things through an aikido lens um that's going to influence it so for so we're still pretty traditional in the sense that like i'm showing someone how to jab if I'm showing someone how to cross and how to hook, mm-hmm. it's generally speaking so that the nage has a good feed, like I said. I, I'm not teaching an Aikido person boxing. I'm teaching them ukeme, essentially is how I look at it. I'm just, be a better uke, so that that guy can be a better nage. That's that's really the approach. That's a great way to frame it. Yeah, you know, and I think that that's a little bit less intimidating for Aikido people, because if you're doing Aikido, it's because you love Aikido. You chose Aikido. If you wanted to be doing these other things, you would be doing those other things. So if you just go, all right, guys, everyone puts a pad up. We're going to be boxing now. Like, well, I, that's not what I'm paying you for. That's not why I'm here. Mm-hmm. But if you look at it from the perspective of, I want to do my Aikido. I just want to do my Aikido better. I want to do it against more variables. Um, the the next level of this is understanding how do I do it when the the energy is not committed? What if it's non-committal? What does a rimi look like? What does TenCon look like? What if it's not on the first beat? We always do everything on the first beat. What if it's the second beat? What if it's the the third beat? You know? Beat. Yeah. What if it's a half beat? Yeah. It, it, you know, there's no half beat. Well, you know what you call a half beat? Showman. This looks like a bad uke, right? Right. Like, no, don't. We'd be yelled at. All the yeah. time. Yeah.
0: How many, do how many are are like scolded for doing something like, or doing a Absolutely. thing or, or anything like that? Yeah.
1: Right. And, and don't get me wrong. I'll be the first to scold any of my people if they're doing it at, at the inappropriate drill level. Right. You yeah. know, mm-hmm. um, but but then you have to let there be some space for those people to see, well, well what does that look like? You know, what, what will happen if I... If I fake it or, you know, so that's why I think, again, it's important to have this, these training methods where you go, this is the kihon, you know, it's a paired kata basically, right? Mm -hmm. There's no surprises. This is exactly what's going to happen. Now we're going to do it, maybe with multiple people. And now we're going to do it. And this guy's going to really try to hose your timing. Maybe they're feigning, you know, you you build it up progressively, you know, but it's always through the filter of Aikido. Mm -hmm. you know you're not going we're gonna do muay thai today in this aikido class Mm -hmm. but we might say we're gonna borrow from muay thai because we're working kick defenses and you don't know how to kick sure so we have to spend 10 minutes 15 minutes 20 minutes figuring that out you know Mm -hmm. um so i've got here this is my sensei's book the essence of aikido there's another essence of aikido but it's not this one this is a good one um this came out in 1987 and in it uh, there's kick defenses in there, and uh, there's some things like back fists, Like how do you deal with back fist? And it was really interesting because I cannot think of an Aikido book pre 1987, pre this one, that covers those types of things in an Aikido context. So I think you and I just have it in our DNA, our training DNA, to go. Well, what? How does that function against X? You know, you know what that, does that what look like against? Because I, th- I Well, firstly, I think you're right. And I think that what set the stage,
0: at least for me, that, that that idea or concept resonated was, when I competed, I was sometimes faced with people that were much bigger, heavier than I was, smaller, faster, longer limbs, you know, shorter, more powerful, like, you have to have that, uh, that adaptability to say, mm-hmm. I need to deal with whatever I'm faced with, right, mm-hmm. just have an excuse of, well, wow, they're more experienced than me, or they some you know ungodly ability that i don't have like that's all garbage thinking you have to think Mm -hmm. i i need to survive or prevail here and that resonated with me of of saying we have to be able to effectively deal with everything that's out there and and decent punching attacks are out there even from we always said the odds that you're going to be attacked by a disciplined boxer or disciplined martial artist from some other area I was pretty small you're probably going right. to be attacked by some goon well I got news some goons have had some training mm-hmm. some goons have some talent even with things like learning to be good bar fighters right they have their own martial art bar fighters do don't think just because they don't have a dojo down at the strip mall with a sign over it that says bar fighter foo that they don't have their own
1: their own schools of, of you you've had Ian on right you've had Ian Abernathy on yeah. Okay. So Ian tells this great story when he does his workshops of a buddy of his from back in the day. And the guy, I think he's got his life together now, but at the time was kind of a rough, rough kid. And so what he had a fighting style. He had a fighting system, not a style. I'm sorry. He had a fighting system. And here was a system. He would walk up to you if he was going to fight you and he would headbutt you. He would hit you with a right. And if you were still standing, he would run away. Okay, And that was the, that was the cotter, right? That was the system. I'm going to go bop, bop. Oh, he's still up and he would take off. Right. Like that's as disciplined a system as, you know, any that I've heard, you know, and you, you got it. If that's the guy who's rolling up on you, Mm -hmm. you got to deal with it, you know? Exactly. Yeah, You know, and I had, uh, you know, a couple of mentors that I was
0: working with who told me the same thing about bikers, like Mm -hmm. motorcycle guys. Theirs is kick you in the shin with their Harley boot. You buckle over, they grab you in the shoulder and put you down on all fours and then just start kicking you in the head. Like that's their martial art. And yeah. it's dead simple. And you can do it on a half a bottle of Jack Daniels because that's it's has to fit that. Like, it's like drunken boxing, right? Like, yeah, exactly. Just like, yeah. You know? But it's, it's over quick because if mm-hmm. you fall for it, you know, and that a Harley boot to your shin is going to light you up like a Christmas tree. Yeah. Uh, and it's kind of an it's ambush on steroids, Isn't, right? This, yeah. this whole thing could be another whole podcast, but that difference between a sport fight and real fighting is that in my mind is that ambush, mm-hmm. Who right? Gets the first shot. A rough does not say, okay, fight and go. It's setting up that first ambush. And with, with the, the guy that, that Ian Abernathy was talking yeah. about, I think it's the same way as the, you know, same the deal, fighter. right? Yeah. If you land that first shot and it's going to go
1: in your favor 95% of the time. And, you know, even if you remove uh, style from the equation, mm-hmm. um, there's still benefit because there's different energies and different timing. So, for oh, example, absolutely. while we're training jabbing, maybe that's the guy who's just pushing you and retracting right. a couple of times mm-hmm. until he can, he can get you with that cross, right? Or it might not even be a cross. It might just be a big, heavy, you know, right. Or maybe he just but, wants you to back down
0: and from him shoving you is enough. Yes. he thinks it's going to convince you like, just get the hell away from me. This yeah. is more than I want to handle, which might work more than that could work. And it probably yeah. should work if that's
1: all he's doing. But, yeah. but what you see then is structurally and, 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 and energetically and timing, a guy pushing and retracting is a jab. Yes. Mm-hmm. So you know what I'm saying? I mean, it's not, a, I mean, a boxer going to go first, not a jab. You know what I'm saying? It's not a Munezki. It's not a guy who gets into a position from outside of range and then steps in and does an Oyozuki right to your midsection. No.
0: You know what I mean? It's a by different the way, energy
1: and a different timing.
0: Something too that was also very common in, in old pugilism was, I may punch you in the shoulder, not because I'm going to knock you out. It's not the finisher, but I'm going to swivel your shoulder and swivel your body so that I can yeah. set up the next shot. So I'm actually punching to move you which to me like how is that not striking to take somebody's balance or posture right physical and maybe mental at the same time because if i hit your shoulder and it swivels your shoulder back now for a moment you're like what did he just do and what can i
1: can i do or not do from this new position yeah you just made me like you just gave me like a flashback uh since had this thing that he did where uh it was a choke entry okay it's not defense right so what you would do is he he would get the case so there would step up and he'd put one hand behind the shoulder mm-hmm. and he I, it wasn't a push okay right. it was a open hand strike and what it would do is it would spin the guy around and then he would yep. sink a choke on you right i remember that one. we do that. that yeah okay so again it just gets kind of passed down the line mm-hmm. um that's not grab i mean it's grappling and then it moves to a choke but he's hitting you two places simultaneously to m- take you off your base and and move you. It's t- me like maybe the best example of how Teme couldn't be integrated. That it's not a hit in a in a pugilism like right. sense, but it's you using your body percussively to accomplish your goal. You know, I think that's. Um, the best but man, as soon as you said that, like, yeah,
0: I think that what you just described is the best way of putting. Changing your, your mind from thinking uh, using striking for a TEMI is me putting my fist in somebody's mouth. It's not just right. you, there's a lot of lot more area of, across the spectrum of striking that body. And old catch wrestlers would do the same thing. They they'd lock up into a clinch. you may, you know, if, if their opponent's head was here and they they'd drop and they'd break the head across the jaw to move to actually turn the head. You could call it a strike if it was done with high percussion or mm-hmm. you can just push the jaw. Like if we're training together and I don't want to knock your teeth out, I just take my forehead and I rake it across your jaw yeah. and I turn your head. Now I've got your, your neck turned, your shoulders can start to turn depending on how far I go. And now I can take your posture and it turns into a really nice iriminage. Um Well,
1: I'll tell you when I have a good buddy of mine who uh, he's a purple belt in jujitsu. And so we'll do garage set. he he he's so gracious he lets me come to his garage and he teaches me jujitsu and i'm mm-hmm. a pretty decent uk. so he gets you know some benefit out of it as well um but when we do our stand-up clinch work you know and we're and we're kind of moving around and he's going in for collar ties he's he's really controlled but mm-hmm. when he catches a collar tie like you go it doesn't take much imagination. No. <laughs> to go, oh my doesn't. gosh! Like I'd be I half you, off old my grappler, feet. That
0: influence of old grappling. All of those slaps—they don't look. Oh like my gosh! That. Yeah. boy, do you feel them? And if they put a little bit more juice on them, I mean, it's almost a knockout shot. All yeah. I'm um, saying. How is that not a teme? Right? Like how is that not? It seems to me know, squarely in in that zone of I'm not just going to gently, you know wrap my hands around the back of your neck it's going to be pop yeah head forward it's going to be a a, like you said percussive motion Mm -hmm. and how much percussion that's based on how much that your particular situation calls for but the great part that i love about this is that you can practice it as long as that's in your mind you can go you know 20 30 intensity but you when you get the hips behind it you start to move you can imagine what it would be like if you just exploded and popped a little when, more in there
1: when you hear stories of like high level martial artists like the o sensei or or uh, I, I felt this in my sensei as well um karate people judo people there, there's always this thing where they like man they generated so much power well he didn't look like he did anything you know sometimes they're referring to uh throwing but a lot of times there's like he just put his hand on me and i just felt like i got hit by a truck you know? And so there is that sense of uh, being so efficient in your movement that you don't have to haul off on somebody, right? right. You know, you can just, uh, um, there's a story of sensei where I, I would, this was before my time. So I'm telling you second, second hand. Um, but a guy came in while sensei is teaching. And uh, at our dojo, we had this little uh, visitor gallery. And so this dude Sat in the chair and he's just kind of sitting there. And I guess eventually he starts heckling Sensei or something like that. And so Sensei goes over to talk to him. And the guy like stands up. And what I've heard, what I what they said was Sensei went boom, like that. And the guy went up off his heels, back into the chair, and just kind of like slid down, you know. Mm. And they're like, it didn't look like he did anything, you right. know. But if you okay for Sensei, you know that he did do something. You know, mm-hmm. it just didn't look like you did something. And yeah. so again, is that not a Teme? You know, the ability just to use your body so efficiently that just I put my hands on you, mm-hmm. it's percussive.
0: You know. By the way, I actually teach that to new students and I put it on the yellow belt test. Oh, be really? Yeah. Exactly that. It's a great it's thing to have in in the way that i teach it is actually written from what uh, jack dempsey put in his book about the the drop step or the falling step. Oh yeah 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 that's where the power comes from Is you're you're letting the body fall forward and like i said at first i thought boy this doesn't seem much like aikido because we're using it from a strike or from a yeah. jolt puncher or, or whatnot but then i realized look at funakogi look at shamanuchi ikkyo endo look at mm-hmm. All of that stuff is you're shifting that body and you're letting the whole body weight come forward just for a few inches. But that's the power generator. Why would Aikido instructors from generations before us think that it was important to do that motion before every class? Mm -hmm. Right. It's the same exact body mechanic.
1: It's the power generation method. It's our power generation method. You know, like right. and so it's it's crucially important yeah. that we're and doing. I think it was
0: universal because like Dempsey it. found that universal. Boxers Absolutely. find it universal. I mean, they attach to that.
1: These are and the then. We have where your students and you know all of us will really start to uh, awaken is when we realize that effectively pushing someone like that and push is the wrong word. It it right. that's a, that's it, it evokes the wrong. Um, wrong motion no but what's the difference between putting my hands on somebody's chest and one on the wrist and one on the elbow right do you know what i mean it's ekyo. Mm-hmm. It's it it's mm-hmm. all it is it's ikkyo but the targeting is different you know no. and, and so like if it were me and i were going to start teaching that mm-hmm. i would teach it in the ikkyo unit sure because you don't teach it like this mm-hmm. you would teach Correct. it from contact right yeah. and then how do you move your body so, yeah, no, I agree. I think that's a, a wonderful thing to have. Oh, we'll it's a wonderful application is what that is. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. One of the other
0: integrations that that I've struck on, and I even put this on the Yellow Belt test, which was, remember when you would do a Yoko Minucci and you'd come in and you'd do that nice smooth blend, you'd mm-hmm. put your hand on the shoulder and you'd kind of, you know, very smoothly allow Uke to, to turn and draw him forward? Yeah. I did it with a shoulder stop so you you come in and you pop that shoulder and you stop your yeah. body and then you do your turn or then you you finish some other way yeah but the shoulder stop and as i started doing this a few years ago it occurred to me if you come in on me and you're swinging and it doesn't matter whether you're doing a Yokoman strike or a haymaker or whatever there's we always say get off the line of attack really there's two lines of attack there's the fist that's one but right. the second one is your body coming straight into me Right, I can yeah. Deal with the fist, but if you barrel into me and knock me over, I'm I'm kind of screwed. That's not helpful, right? We're yeah, be, we're gonna be on the ground and you're gonna be on top of me, and that's that's nowhere I would like to be. Mm. So to me, adding this shoulder stop in and all it did was alter the entry just a little bit because our both hands come up, we shift in and we just drop into that shoulder right into the pocket. Yeah, stop it, and that pauses the body for a second. Then you go
1: through that turn. And now you've taken care of both lines of attack. So here's why that's really cool, Tristan. There's a lot of reasons. But here's why that's really cool. We in Aikido have a technique like an Arimi variation or even a Tenkan variation mm-hmm. where when the, the Yokelman is coming in, you attack the face. Mm-hmm. But because these are our buddies, we pull our shot mm-hmm. or we ask that the Uke throw their their structure back. So, right. um, one of, one of my, my JKD Kali instructors who I've not spent a ton of time with, but I call, he's not my instructor. I shouldn't call him that. He's a teacher because every time I see him, I learn something every single time I, I see him once a year or once every two years. And in five minutes, I'm like, I've got something. So he was teaching, um, it's, it's JKD as uh, Jeet Kune Do. Uh, we were learning, uh, counters to the hook. And there's one in the curriculum where it's called a bicep stop. So as the shot comes in, you basically it's an unbendable arm, and you sure. stop the bicep, right? And I was doing that ten years, twelve years, something like that. And uh, he was teaching a workshop, and he's teaching that, and he goes, "You guys know that's an eye jab, right?" Hmm. Go on, <laughs> like of course I knew that, but <laughs> but go on, tell me some more. And he's like, "Yeah, I mean you can't eye jab your partner. So what you do is you target that as hmm. a placeholder." For the eye jab and like the pathways that opened up after that were just immense you know so you just basically have a method of teaching that chin jab Mm -hmm. without doing a chin jab but you can still generate power you can make sure you're making contact you still have to get the timing um you need to overlap it with the no contact version so they understand the targeting But all the pieces are there you know that's super cool i might have the, to- other, the other nice
0: part is you can go full power on this yeah for because sure shoulder stop with absolutely blast them and nobody's going to come away injured you're, you're yeah you know you're not going to hurt anybody right and i like those times when you can actually get as close as possible to what this would really be when uke like gonna level nage just i mean yeah big old haymaker and it's like bam and you stop the shoulder and then and then go there's the Kazushi, There's
1: which exactly. again is a great placeholder for going like the way this is taught classically mm-hmm. is you hit them in the chin, right? Using the same mechanics, mm-hmm. and and then you facilitate the throw. If yep. you if And you the need entry to. like you just said,
0: the entry for Shomenate is almost exactly the same. It's identical except for the targeting. It's right? targeting,
1: right? But, it, but it, as long as you're overlapping some type of targeting drill. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm taking that for sure, Tristan. That, that You're storm. gonna have a blast with it,
0: and I'll I'll add in one the one variation that I also put in. Mm-hmm. And by the way, I I've included these videos in my my online program for anybody that's curious. But one of the things that has always bugged me about about paired kata practice is the idea that that Nage always knows how it's going to come out. Like they <laughs> they get used to having an agenda and expectation of here's how it's going to end. So I I added a little uh, wrench in the works which is when, if you came in on me and, and I did a solid shoulder stop on you, a couple different ways that it can come out. One is your body's hurling at me. I stop your shoulders, but your hips and legs still keep coming. So mm-hmm. you wind up being lean backwards because you didn't expect your shoulders to get right. So when I see you tip backwards, I just step forward and drop you down on your back. The, and I gonna do this. There's three of them. That's the first one. Um, and I'll jump to the third one, which is, and I call this the Frady Cat Punch, because I've seen this on many, many different s- surveillance videos of fights, where I want to swing at you, but I don't want to move my body real close. So I, I keep my hips back, and I lean forward, and I throw oh, that right. arm out. Yeah.
1: I'm, yeah. Leaning,
0: I'm leaning way in, and you catch the shoulder stop, but now you've got your hand on my shoulder, you stop stopped the arm, but now... I'm almost face down. You just basically grab and set Uke down on all fours. Yeah. Like fastest way to get them down is where they're leaning and you just go. Yeah. It's like Ikyo from the other side. Right. Right. But Nage has to read it. Yeah, They have to to respond correctly. The third one is when you get somebody who's a fairly disciplined puncher and they do their punch and you 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 did not take their balance. Their spine is still pretty much upright. You have to stop their body coming in with the shoulder stop mm-hmm. then you do your turn and spiral and then you can take mm-hmm. them down that kind of the way we were taught it right for many and minutes.
1: you know that is really good training for the uk because mm-hmm. they are now responsible for being able to replicate all yes. three of those injuries.
0: exactly so you're in the same thing you're training uk to be kind of unpredictable mm-hmm. and give certain reads and you're training Nage not to get into the habit of knowing how everything's going to come out. And they have to adapt to what they see while this is happening. And I've done it with people in the first six months, you know, by the yellow belt test is six to nine months roughly. Mm-hmm. And they've all succeeded at being able to do this. So it's not so complex yeah. that you need to be, you know, brown belt. In order not at to be all.
1: No, I, we actually do an almost identical method of training, Tristan. Mm-hmm. Basically, we do the kata. And, and my flaw, and this is outside the striking conversation. So if we, sure. if you need to cut this out and make a new podcast that's <laughs> ten minutes long, you can do that. Yep. Uh, but the idea is, at least my opinion is, in the kata there should be no surprises. Mm-hmm. The kata is is so that you understand the roadmap. You understand what's supposed to be happening. Right. And so what you just described is three different katas. Mm-hmm. Okay. This yep. is a kata. This is a kata. This kata. There are no surprises. You know exactly what's going to happen, and that's and then, usually how I train them initially. Like, of course
0: you do. One here's number two. Here's number
1: three. That's and how you have to do it. Right? Is now you got to play it live, and that becomes Jiwaza. Right now you have a free training. Now you know because you've already been equipped. The biggest oh, it's a it's a pet peeve of mine, like beyond all others in the Aikido world, is people resisting in. And I understand it. And I'll talk about it in a second. But people resisting in the kata phase. Mm-hmm. Because the kata phase is where you're supposed to be ironing out the details. Right. And so if you're trying to learn ikkyo mm-hmm. and your uk sandbags you. Mm-hmm. And you're now responsible for doing a ikkyo because that's what the sensei said everyone's doing. This person has not provided the energy in which an ikkyo would be successful. Right. But he did provide the energy in which me kneeing you in the leg would be very successful, right? Or me yanking your arm down and headbutting you would be incredibly successful. Yeah. But I can't do it because it's the kata phase and I'm trying to do what the sensei showed, right? So, But I understand it because traditionally Aikido doesn't have any other training methods. It's only the kata. So people are trying to uh, introduce a jiawaza or a sparring or a live training thing into the kata and it's useless you're just wasting everybody's time but what you're talking about is a way in which you can work through the details but there's still an avenue to get to that thing that the uks think that they're trying to provide but they're yeah it's be the, the beginning of opening that door to more
0: of a live environment but mm-hmm. it's still in a controlled kata type
1: environment but it's beginning to go that direction yeah, if you look at our progression, like the the, the bones are there. It doesn't take that much. Mm-hmm. But you should have your kata. Again, in my opinion, there should be no surprises in the kata. Any failure that happens in the kata should be on the nage. It should, they should not be uke-induced, right? Mm-hmm. It's because the nage doesn't know what he's doing yet or he, his timing was off or something like that. Then we have jiawaza. Jiawaza would be what other uh, systems might call live drilling. So now you have to read the timing, the my eye, but it's still a sandbox. Mm-hmm. You know what technique you were working on. That means that Uke must be providing the energy for that thing to be successful, but he but he can modulate the resistance level. Right. And then you have Rondori, which is this guy's basically just trying to hose your training, but it's okay because that's that's what we decided on. We right. agreed... All right, man, let me have it. Let me see. Let me see if I can do something. So the bones of the training are there. But what happens is people try to put a Rondori feed, Uke feed, into the kata phase. Right. And it's useless. It's it's beyond useless. Right. So I like what you're talking about. Because if we, if we wrap it back into a striking context, mm-hmm. you could go like, all right, Uke, you're going to learn how to jab. Nage, you're gonna slip it. So one of the sensei always do a hijitoshi, right? You're gonna slip it, and take the elbow down. Now move around. He's still feeding a jab. You're still doing a hijitoshi, but now you got to know when it's coming, and you can only do that by like modulating the my eye and seeing the timing. And then you know after you have a couple of other things, um like what you just talked about, maybe two, three, four more variables. Now you're like, you don't know. It's gonna be one of these variables. Mm-hmm. but you don't know which variable it's going to be. Now we're kind of talking like Rondori, you know?
0: And and to so, me, that's where applied skill always, I mean, regardless of what art you're doing, if you you can't deal with variables, all you're doing is choreography. You're doing kata. Kata is by definition choreography, right? Like that. that is. And it's yeah. if you like a musician that knows how to play certain songs, but if you want him to actually jam with other musicians, mm-hmm. you got nothing. Mm-hmm. That's That's the live skill that, that a martial art a martial artist really needs to have if they're not just going to be a performer.
1: And I will say um there's kind of a new wave of aikido happening right now that I I appreciate as an observer and it's um kind of coming down through the aikikai line and I'm sure you've seen these guys very beautiful, very acrobatic. The Ukemé is now hitting a level that I didn't I didn't think we would ever see. Mm-hmm. Um And I had a student go like, hey, what are they doing? Are they choreographing this? And if you look, you're like, no, this is not choreography. This is jiwaza. This is a beautiful interaction between the nage and the uke communicating. Mm -hmm. So they are being unpredictable. The missing ingredient is resistance. Mm -hmm. Resistance is what makes the difference between uh, functional skill. I, I hate that term, functional. Applied skill versus kind of like a cultural dance Mm -hmm. because it's still unpredictable, but Uke is not resisting. So even though it's unpredictable, that will not build combative skill. You know, it's funny you mentioned that because what brings up
0: to my mind is, um, and this was a very profound, profound piece of advice I heard years ago, which is if you want to assess, evaluate a martial artist in their doing what they do, watch their ukes, watch their attackers, watch. Right. Them. And then I use that same thing when I watch things like um uh, Bruce Lee movies or, you know, martial yeah. arts. Watch what the actors are doing that are being the, the bad guys when they're not uh-huh. the one that's attacking the movie star. Yeah. Do this active jumping around thing, but they're not actually doing anything, but they're supposed yeah. to look, they're supposed to make the screen kind of vibrate with all of this movement to make it seem exciting, but they're, they're not, being any kind of an actual threat
1: yeah their job is not to beat this actor right right it yep. is to cooperate and to
0: right exactly make it exactly. seem
1: like they're a threat but not exactly and, yeah. that, and I, as much as i may
0: tread on a on a sacred cow on this one i see the same thing when i see uh how vigorously in seagal movies his his ukes are attacking and they're made to look like they're vibrating with energy right But all of that has been flushed out in a type of choreography. Yes. And it's been flushed out to a very, very fine degree. And I I did a breakdown video of it, of what I saw when I started breaking things down of attacks that were going nowhere, that would never have landed anyway. Uh, You know, but they were made to look really super active yes and, and i think that this you know not to go too far down that rabbit hole is that's kind of what happens when you want to make a compelling demonstration and that's yeah. all a movie is is a compelling demonstration mm-hmm. of of
1: choreography and, and that's what this aikido is really like that i'm seeing it's like uh i'm gonna say this It's gonna sound derogatory i, I really kind of like it but oh, it's, it's like it's instagram beautiful. aikido yeah. right instagram aikido where you're just it's you're just doing a real it's 20 seconds and it's this very beautiful interaction mm-hmm. uh and, and when i say resi- so there's no resistance there when i say resistance i'm afraid the Aikido community is going to hear um fight to the death i don't mean that so like if we're talking about like in a striking context if i throw my hand out and retract it that is a form of resistance and so when we see guys go like this is how aikido defeats a boxer and the uk is like like this and they go They're missing that element of resistance, even the lowest, most, you know, benign form of resistance. And it's why it doesn't ring true. But it's why you can watch a boxing coach teach and and they're going like this really slow. Mm -hmm. But because there's even that little bit of resistance, retraction, head movement, moving, you go, I I see what he's doing. it doesn't mean there's not going to be someone going like, that would never work. They're going to be there and they're going to say it. But as a but if the trained eye goes like I see what's happening here you know I could see how that would function or I could see where the 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 strength of that lies. Yeah, and, I'm glad uh, you described it that
0: way because even if if you were my uke and I was presented with exactly what you just showed one retraction, I've seen so many aikido people struggle with getting a technique to work just because that arm retracted and it wasn't and came back. Out or waiting for. Mm-hmm you know, which means their timing wasn't quite good enough. Um, or even the expectation of if you come out and retract like that, I've got a really narrow window to nail my technique. And if I don't, yeah. I got to shift to something else. I can't just yeah. pursue that. And so, and this is something that, that you know, I I resonated with me, which is if you can't do it slow, you certainly can't do it fast. And the idea that when people say, okay, well, I want to make my Aikido more practical. It's like, all right, let's go at hundred percent speed. It's like, no, no, no.
1: How yeah, let's you? do kata faster. How about right? You? Yeah, exactly. let yeah. will just
0: do it faster and harder because that seems tough. It's like, no, no. Try it with like you described resistance of somebody that's not going to hang their arm and give it to you. They're going to retract it. Just do that at even thirty percent speed and see how it goes. If mm-hmm. it's a mess at thirty percent, certainly don't try to go fifty or eighty or yeah. God forbid hundred percent. Right? You no, know it's not going to work because speed is not going to be your friend when things are are off. And we yes. know. I mean, how many times that we, our instructors told us that? Slow don't down, just to speed up down. to cover <laughs> yeah. bad habits. Yeah, it's not going to work. And and the same thing holds true. Um, and so yeah, I think with with the striking, and I did want to cover a little bit more leg striking too, because we touched on. Oh yeah, before. for sure. Um, and that is, for one thing, I f- I find those shin pads tremendous uh now the ones i have have a little pad that comes up over the knee as well but mm-hmm. i've hunted for them to get a really nice thick foam pad on the front of the shin um and the reason for that is i like practicing the muay thai thigh kick yeah i like practicing the that shin kick which you better have pads on if you're gonna yeah if you're gonna be pounding on each other's shins, even at moderate strength which i like having at least moderate strength because if you practice really light you, you're, you tend to get balance isn't very good you're you're doing it so light that it you're not really forming good making good form um but you can have some contact and target an actual moving shin to know you can see the weight shift on it you're not just hitting a pad but with that thigh kick boy with a raw shin if you get that it band you're gonna you're gonna drop somebody yeah it doesn't feel great no, yeah. and so it's it's at least doable that you can you can make make a bit of contact, get used to targeting. And that one takes a little more. I like the Mu thai sh- uh, thigh kick, but it does
1: take a little better balance than that quick shin kick. so two things. First thing, I used to use the the pad for the shin kick. Mm-hmm. I was teaching a women's self-defense workshop one time, and the the way we do it is we go in a bendable arm mm-hmm. to crash in. Because, again, I've got these people for like an hour and a half or two. Right. Uh, and once they make that connection, we have a, a couple of things we go through. We go through palm strike. We go through mm-hmm. an elbow. We go through the shin kick, which is my favorite. Mm-hmm. Um, because all of them can do it. And I always do it progressively. I say, hit me at 10%. All right, now go 20. Now go 30. Right. So some uh, accountant lady hit me at 30 or 40% and then went to the back of the line. And the next one come up. And I didn't realize that when she kicked me, the pad went around Oh, and okay. so the next one that came in got me at 10%. And I was like, something is amiss <laughs> because now my shin hurts really bad. <laughs> so now what I do is I get a, a big kick shield. Again, you got to have gear, guys. I take a big kick shield and I just shove it down on my foot <laughs> and I go like go to town, you know. But right. I'm holding this thing anymore. But I agree, those are those are great theoretically for for shin kicks. We do like them for that.
0: And um, the, the other one, and there was a video that somebody posted on to the Marshall side just last week. Um And it was uh, reaps and sweep kicks. And it was, I mean, and I love them. I love, because I got big, long legs, you know. And when when I see a foot start to go down and it's not quite there and you just sweep that and kick that leg out, having a pad on your shin, you can do that kick the legs yes. without worrying too much about
1: damaging hurting my partner or anything right. like that
0: yeah but you get the right timing and i mean it's mm-hmm. sublime when somebody thinks their foot's about to hit the ground and plant and the foot just goes sideways and they just crumple i mean yeah it, it is
1: so I can't we, really we really think like... of a
0: more elegant way to drop somebody than that
1: yeah without having to hurt them punch them right. or anything low risk like that's all on them it's like you topple a tree just by you know so we like those shin, shin pads as well be, in our Aikido program mm-hmm. um, because the kick defenses that we use, I call them kick counters now. I don't really call them kick defenses. Uh, mm-hmm. Kick counters because uh, we we draw more from the Muay Thai structure than we do. Sure. Now, in this book, like I told you, this is the first time, as far as I can tell, if someone knows otherwise, please, I would love to know just historically. This is the first time I've ever seen kick defenses in a Aikido book. Mm-hmm so this came out in 1987 at the time the kicks that the sensei was responding to would have been taekwondo kicks sure. okay so uh round kick front kick side kick um and then Probably there were the waist or above yes and then there was like double kicks bop bop right because yeah. again you're, you're dealing with taekwondo people this we're in texas we're in dallas texas during that time period that is who was around us mm-hmm. uh, and then spin back kicks right so again spin back kick it's you're gonna see it from your taekwondo or your karate buddy right Mm -hmm. uh times change and i feel like uh the muay thai structure one muay thai kick counters are this far from aikido right they are so again i was doing a a guru dance seminar and we were in the muay thai phase he generally starts the day off with muay thai and we were working these kick takedowns Mm -hmm. and uh the when we came up, the way we did it is if the kick was coming, we would drop our arm down and then hook up on underneath it. Right. You remember that? Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. Well, and when we tie because the guard is a I'm sure there's a lot of reasons, but the guard is up, so they go from above and overhook the overhook it. Yep, yeah, ex- okay. So, yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. So, we're doing these, and um, I'm oh like, golly, I feel like you're gonna get your ribs like destroyed you know Mm -hmm. so uh, in between lessons i go up to guru and i go guru no disrespect but how do you keep your your ribs safe he goes oh all you got to do is when the kick comes in you just got to blend with that energy a little bit and then catch you was like you mean like yes sir (laughs) went back like oh my gosh i'm so dumb right like do the thing you've been doing your entire stupid life right (laughs) And sure enough, you know, you blend with it and you overhook it. And I'm like, it's Aikido time now. Right. There's our there's our kokunages, you know, there's um transitions you can move to the other side. Uh, so we like that structure because it integrates into what we do so well. I mean, just 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 so so quickly. But again, the Muay Thai pads are helpful because if you get your timing off, you're not getting a shin Definitely. into your ribs. You know what I mean? It gives so you again, a wider the, you know,
0: opera, operational
1: window that if you get outside of it, you're not gonna get you're not dead, right? You know you've been hit, but like you're not out for the rest of the training. Because again, you'll do it slowly and in a in a choreographed manner, but then we go live, you and know. And then
0: it, it also lets your the kicker throw you some real juice, like you're not just getting somebody dangling a foot out at you. No, they're it's kicking not you. a real kick. Now it's yeah. now we go back to what we talked about earlier. It's like yeah punch isn't just an arm hanging out in front of somebody it's
1: and all ukeme works like this the better your uke is the better you will be Mm -hmm. the more they can commit and and the more you trust your uke Mm -hmm. the I, i don't like to use the term harder but you know what i mean like the more vigorous you can throw because you know that they're going to be safe. They know how to fall. So it's this symbiosis that's super important. If you know that your UK is really going to kick you, you can really do the technique. And if you trust your uke, you can really do the technique because you know they're going to be able to take that that uke. And, and as a naga, you get used to seeing what a real power
0: kick looks like. It doesn't scare you. It's like a desensitization process yeah. where, you know, okay, somebody's throwing some real juice at my ribs. I know what to do. You don't get old. Oh, I have but, done gosh,
1: this, what is this before. before. Yeah. yeah. This is not before. the first time that somebody has tried to to kick me at the starbucks you know like (laughs) so and and now i don't really know how to deal with this you know yep well you said something a moment ago a
0: few minutes ago that i think was a real gem and i wanted to come back to it because it kind of got i don't want anybody to lose it and that in the in the in the details and that is when you said at the time in texas taekwondo was big that was really big for the time in my opinion this is a this is should be one of probably the top two crucial Aikido principles is that it does evolve for the situation. If the, if it's a principle-based art, not a technique-based art, the principles should be used enough that they can be altered slightly to deal with whatever type of attacker you're going to have. And this is, in my opinion, one of the better arguments for people who will say, I can't deal with a boxer. I don't, I shouldn't have to deal with a boxer. I'm not going to, because that's not what Aikido is. It's not boxing. It's like, mm-hmm. no, you should be able to at least not look like a chump against a boxer or be right. easily dominated by, and you can fill in the blank, you know, JKD guy, wrestler, um, Muay Thai fighter, BJJ person. In my opinion, a good martial artist, even that just does Aikido should be able to go and train with one of these other people and not just get completely be a, like a babe in arms. Like, right, they should have something to you don't have to outdo them with it with, with their own thing. You'd, that would be unreasonable to expect, but to have that that other person say, "All right, you know, yeah, you've got some some skill. You you know what to do at least fundamentally to deal with." If
1: Aikido is going to survive, I I, I re I truly believe this with all my heart. You don't do it, and to me, this is Aikido to the bone. You don't do it by being better than these other arts or trying to um, posture as you're better than the others. You do it by being a good martial citizen. You go to that Muay Thai gym and you, and you go like, can you show me how to do this? Right. Or I don't know how to throw a jab. Can you show me how to do this? You bring, bring someone in to teach a a seminar, you know? And, um, I've had really good conversations with my, my jujitsu buddy. Um, because of the the uh, body awareness that aikido has taught me i can speak his language it's right. like learning a foreign language right mm-hmm. like if i'm going to go into his house at least learn the language a, a little bit you know so he he doesn't really have to tell me about like distance management we can skip that part and he can get to the the advanced i say the advanced i'm a no stripe white belt i don't mean advanced that in that sense mm-hmm. but i mean like i understand relaxation I understand going with with uh, energy instead of like, you know what I mean? So we can skip that part and he can go to some other things. Um, same thing when I go work in uh, with any of my Kali instructors. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't have to show me how to move my body offline, mm-hmm. right? We can skip that part because I'm pretty decent at moving offline. Mm-hmm. I do need to be reminded to blend with things apparently. That's that that does (laughs) that does come up from time to time, you know, Uh, but at least know what he means when he says it Mm -hmm. It, 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 when when your teacher says, well, you need to blend with that motion. I don't have to go like, can you show me how to do that? Got it. So where Aikido could really bring things to the table is it gives you a body awareness and a, a spatial awareness that should hopefully allow you to go into these other spaces and participate. And they don't have to coddle you, you know, right it's not that they're not going to be able to teach you they're going to make your jab better they're going to make your cross better they're going to make your kicks better they're going to make your jujitsu better they're going to make your knife work better but Mm -hmm. at least they don't have to go like all right the thumb doesn't go in there okay Mm -hmm. it goes out here you know what i mean (laughs) yeah i think we have a responsibility of doing that if we want aikido to survive i i I just really do yeah
0: yeah i agree and like
1: a you pointed out with the whole hyper specialization thing. It's it's
0: not like Aikido is the only art that suffers from it either. Mm-hmm. Uh, almost all of them do. Uh, and the more they go along, the more they start eliminating, no, we're not going to do this anymore. No, we're not going to do that anymore. And they they wind up having this tiny, small little backyard that they're playing in that's that has very little in it. And the sad part is when you see those practitioners in that art that want more and they find that they have to leave like they have to go mm-hmm. somewhere else and rather than than the art itself saying how about we expand back to having a more comprehensive atmosphere mm-hmm. one that in my opinion is not comprehensive to the point where you're thinking well we do everything if you do our art you don't have to you don't have to be exposed to everything else because i think the reverse is true you have to have an art that is a, a comprehensive enough that it can and should blend and work with other martial artists Mm because it's only going to make your art better you know you go to go to a train with people in judo and you you realize you know our our hip throws aren't as nearly as good as theirs let's steal Mm -hmm. from them and make our our throws absolutely much better or the the kicking or the you know whatever it is because there are some fantastic arts out there that that, in fact they do bring something to the table because Mm -hmm. of how hyper specialized they are Although I find myself having to be very careful because often those hyper-specializations cause glaring oversights that right. they're not they're not appreciating because they're in their own little bubble. Right. And that that's what you as a as a martial art traveler have to sort through yourself. Like, okay, what can I take? What do I need to alter, or what is just gonna be that's way too specialized? It's not gonna
1: work for what I want. Yeah, We really wanna be cautious. Uh, about so i'm a photographer by trade Mm -hmm. and i am probably the last generation in school i know i know for a fact when i was in school when i I was in college we were the last generation that was even having the conversation between film and digital Mm. all right and that makes me really old now but that that is the truth like we had a dark room and a digital lab and the next year there was no darker right Mm -hmm. so i mean that i was right on the fist of that and there was always this complaint about like uh Oh no photoshop is it's not real you know it's not for people you know it's not it's no, not, not a real it, art it's not real photography right but nobody who could do photoshop ever said that right mm-hmm. it was only the people that couldn't do photoshop the guys that did photoshop were saw the value mm-hmm. in the dark room and a lot of them would do it for fun you know they would go back analog because they enjoyed the process of it mm-hmm. but the guys that could only do analog couldn't play in the other sandbox mm-hmm. right And we have to be so careful about that because I I mean, I came up and you did too, probably when jujitsu was getting big and we would say things like, I I pray I never said anything like this, but surely I did. Oh, well, I would just never let anyone take me to the ground. Mm -hmm. Problem solved. Right. You don't think that the jujitsu guys, like they they were like, oh, well, why didn't we think of that? You know, or, you know, looking at a boxer and going like, well, I just wouldn't let him get close enough to box me. Mm hmm okay, I guess, (laughs) or, you know, or you could go learn a little bit of boxing, Mm -hmm. right? And that might solve your problem, you know? So I I think you're dead on. We just have to be so careful about not being that hyper-specialized guy and going, none of this other stuff affects me because what I do is what I do. You know, it's a disservice to your students, you know it's it's not good for you it's not good for them it's definitely not good for the art right um, yeah and we we
0: we we want to be martial artists not
1: partial artists where we I love that yes i, I do too i, really I totally that. stole
0: that from somebody, from somebody on the on the forum and it's it's fantastic because <laughs> it just seems to describe so many art schools practitioners where they just want to do their one little thing but to integrate these these things what we talk about today is striking Um, I know a lot of, a lot of times it's easy to, to be frightened to say, I don't know this is getting into a new realm that I like my comfort zone. And if, to me, if anything, martial arts is training to go just a little beyond your comfort zone. Every time you step on the mat, go a little beyond it. Don't go crazy. Don't go way off into nowhere land, but just push those boundaries a little bit. And then every time it gets a little bigger, little bigger, and it's not it's not either you know scary or whatnot, but I think you pointed out well is you know if you need to find somebody that you can cross train with, bring them into your dojo, go to their their place. Um, these things really expand your mind, and and I know that, I, and I'm glad we got to this discussion first about striking because if anything, I think striking is one of those things that a lot of Aikido practitioners tend to look down on and scorn and have even contempt for. Um, and I think that that's a that is an attitude that really needs to shift. It's a tool. We as martial artists need to understand what that tool is, what its advantages are, what its disadvantages are, how to deal with it when we face it, and it shouldn't raise our blood pressure even a little bit. And we get that by having ukes who can throw solid solid strikes, and, and that we get to know them. And you know, it's like handling a cobra. Nobody wants to handle a cobra, but if you know if you've been trained how to do it. And you've done it it's not really that big a deal you just know you have to be careful and i to me i view handling a violent person that same way but if you're scared out of your socks and you won't get within 15 feet of it well then what are you training for you know because at least that's and, what and martial art training kind of means to me is the ability that to does
1: bring up a good point you know that if if you're not interested in the martial aspects of aikido it's fine. That is perfectly fine. And it's still beneficial to learn it. You know what I mean? Because one, uh, philosophically, if you're like, no punches are, are too aggressive, but you're teaching sword and staff. All right. Is cutting that guy's face off like better than throwing a jab or stabbing him with my, (laughs) there you go. (laughs) Like that's better. So philosophically, it's no, it's no different, maybe better than that. Mm-hmm. Um, from uh, if you're into the energy, that's it. Like, I'm, I, I don't really deal with that much, but if you're into the energetics of it, mm-hmm. challenge yourself. So now it's not a constant energy. Now it's a retracting energy or a, a, like a, um, uh, an arrhythmic type of energy. So you get to train that way. If it's just physical fitness, that's it. I just like the fitness aspects of it. Mm-hmm. Striking is great for physical fitness. Absolutely. You know, Um, and if you are interested in the martial aspects, then you can't get, you can't get away from it. You have right. to, you have to, have to, have to have looked at it. So there's just, I don't know. I think everybody, no matter what your goal is, you can benefit from it. I'm not saying you have to do it, but Absolutely. I'm saying it would be beneficial to you.
0: You know, I'm glad you mentioned the energy part because I guess that's one of the things. My my pet peeves is to look around and see how many low energy how much low energy martial art training is going on out there there's yeah. low energy from the uke, low energy from the nage and they're you know entire go go through an entire hour and a half class and nobody breaks a sweat they're kind of just going at like a walking speed and it's nice and smooth and there's a place for slow training they're going to be wrong but you can go slow with intensity it's not like yeah. a low energy low intensity Type type thing, and that's that's what a really great UK can do is deliver full intensity, but at a slow speed, so that their partner can learn and not just overwhelm them. With speed. Absolutely. So, um, uh, but yeah, I think we're at about an hour and a half now, and this has been yet another great discussion.
1: Awesome, we we'll always have. Yeah, you know, I know we went on some tangents and stuff. Yeah, but, a little
0: bit here but, and there, but yeah. Uh, but yeah, it, it's. I was very surprised when I got really into the pugilism and in the kicking arts. To realize how much similarity there is with with aikido and then i realized as i was going through aikido technique and i would struggle or i would have some something happened i threw a, i was throwing a variable it's like oh there's there's a kick a strike here and then you have you get a little bit of hardening with that when you're uke and you're starting to be a little resistant and you're trying to throw your nage some challenges because he's getting bored with you know going mm-hmm. 30 30 miles an hour now you need to send him a little you know 40 yeah. miles an hour and then to realize, oh, a, a hip bump here, or a, you know, kick a leg sweep can can take uke's posture. You know, a little bit of an elbow pop to the ribs. I know that that was big with with our group. Is yeah. you know moving through Sankyo, there's two elbows that come into your right there on right the way in, in right?
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. yep.
0: Um, all of that stuff comes into that striking realm, and it's not just throwing a, a strike band aid onto a, a grappling art. It's right, actually, really integrating everything together to that striking body and and that's why i, I liked you know coming across ellis description of yet another definition of the of the word atemi of using your whole body as that ability to strike
1: um, well including the it, i know it can be scary you know to to kind of venture out but if you're at all interested in this type of training reach out to to tristan you know reach out to me uh it's never been a better time to explore your aikido right i mean it's never been you've never had more resources than you do right now if you don't want to work with us ask us who we'd recommend we know people who can help you we could probably find people in your neighbor you know in your in your area Mm -hmm. um but you should definitely broaden your horizons don't be scared try and um Try and push yourself a little bit as a martial artist. I think now's the time to do it. I, I really do.
0: And I want—I want to go one step farther. Not just for people that would like to include this in their aikido. I'd like to hear more from people that do it already, because there's a lot of people out there oh, yeah, sure. that are doing this, and they're just quietly doing their training in their own dojo. Nobody really knows about them. Like I want to—I'd like to hear from those people that are. Yeah, I'm crossing over. Uh, you know, bringing other influences in, or I have, I've been doing, you know, some sort of boxing or whatever other art they have for 15 years. And I I did Aikido to, or I do Aikido as well. And I meshed them together. Um, I think there are more people out there like that than anyone gives credit for. Yes. And, and so I'd like to see those people, you know, voice put, put a hand up. So yeah, I'm doing that because that's to me where we're going. And by the way, I've been contacted now by a handful of dojo cho's and dojo and instructors in their own dojos that are, that are actively bringing in changing their curriculum and bringing in these influences and wanting to start, start out that way. And that that is fantastic to hear. I think that, that there is a trend that's starting to shift. I think it's a natural trend and it's one that is going to feed the interest for people that like the principle of Aikido. They, they like the spirit of it. But they also want it to be practical. They should they, they see that there is a an application for it. Uh, I certainly do. Uh, it has that mindset has altered in the way that I train. It is not only the, you know, the the three that you talked about, not only the tools, but the training method and the equipment have all evolved as I've gone along. and absolutely. And so I'm glad you brought that. Uh, Inasano def- definitely laid down some wisdom with that one. He kind
1: of knows what he's talking about. A yeah, bit. He's, he, yeah. Uh,
0: he's been there before, been around the track <laughs> a couple of times. Um, so thank you very much, Oliver. I'll uh, let you end on anything else you wanted to add before we wrap up.
1: No, thank you. It's always a pleasure. I always have a blast. I could talk about this stuff forever. So I appreciate the opportunity to do it. So absolutely. Well, thanks very much. And uh, until next time, we'll see you later. Sounds like a plan. Thank you. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you enjoyed this
0: discussion. Stay tuned for more episodes. I've got some great stuff on the way very soon. In the meantime, enjoy your training.